Joe didn't know what the what there's the scripture I chose this morning uh, is, but this song certain uh, my text this morning is Colossians one, and in that uh, scripture, our heavenly Father and His dear Son are are described in these ways: light, truth, strength, love, rest, grace. Heaven, glorious, I think most of those words are used in Colossians 1. Yesterday, the grand boys were at our house, and we had a great day, a very busy day when those three come. <laughs> and uh, I was mowing with the one, we each had push mowers, he was following me. And I uh, noticed he was walking very strangely, his, his trousers were much too big, and so I took his shirt and stuck it through a belt loop and pulled it up tight and made a knot and he he mowed that way. <clears throat> but they were it was a day of play and also uh, also they wanted to help with projects. I should say this, uh, I was help, helping one of them set up an obstacle, obstacle course on a basketball court. They were riding their, uh, what do they call those wiggle things that they ride and uh, he said, Grandpa, you're amazing. Oh, wow. I'd only heard that once before. And he, he told, me that, told me that about a month ago. He said, Grandpa, you're amazing. Then he went on to say that his dad is amazing too because we can fix things and help them do things. And he went on to say that his mother is amazing too. So I thought <laughs> that was quite a good report of uh, his parents. But then later, his grandson I said, Grandpa, I'd like to help, help you with something. What are you doing? I said, well, I have to work on a sermon. And he said, well, I, I'll help you. And I said, okay. And I got him a living Bible and told him to read Colossians 1 and then write, write a brief report on, on it. And here's what he wrote. He said, God uses Paul to give hope to the Colossians. He blesses them and asks for peace for the members the Colossians were famous for trusting God and loving his people. I thought that was a pretty good uh, summary of at least the first couple verses of Colossians 1. Well, I'd like to read Colossians 1. And I want, I'd like for you to especially notice verse 10 and 11 and verse 28. And then I'm going to read some verses on into chapter 2. But the uh, Paul commends the Colossian Christians for their good start in the Christian life, and then he urges them on and prays for them to grow in maturity. And so that's kind of the theme of the book of Colossians, is growing in, uh, into maturity or in the likeness of Christ as a Christian. And he ends up saying again and again that the only the only road to maturity in, uh, as a Christian is is having a life giving relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, knowing knowing Him more and more and uh, better and better. There will be other ways offered later in the book. It talks about. Uh, he says that circumcision, Jewish circumcision won't do it. The Jewish law is not able to bring you 
to maturity. Ascetic rules or strict disciplines are not really going to bring you to Christian maturity. Uh, superior knowledge won't bring you to Christian maturity. What you really need, and the only way to grow as a Christian, is to know Jesus Christ and have a life-giving relationship with him. So that's the, kind of the theme of the book. All right, I'll read Colossians 1. No, I'd like for someone else to read it. Let's see, who could I call on to read Colossians 1? Lowell, would you be willing to uh, read through uh, verse 5 of chapter 2? And we'll just, you can just read slowly and we'll meditate while you read. Colossians 1, the whole chapter through verse 5 of chapter 2. Maybe I'll just um, point out but we're considering the same verses. Uh, Paul's prayer for the Colossians, verse 10, that they might walk worthy of the Lord into all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then verse 28, uh, Paul's saying he's working really hard, preaching and teaching, wanting to bring every man whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And then I also wanted you to notice verse 9 in chapter 2, 9 and 10. For in him, or in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. I think the NIV reads that that the fullness of God's deity dwells in Christ and he makes us full out of his fullness. So, so the theme, I'm suggesting the theme of Colossians is that, that God wants us to grow in maturity. Let's first consider the Apostle Paul. He says in these early verses that by the will of God he is the apostle, evangelist to the Gentiles. He had not been to Colossae, so he didn't know many of them personally. He had not, not been there. Most often he was there and was the evangelist and presented the gospel and the core group developed into a church. But here he rejoices that they received the gospel and he was greatly concerned for them and he's working real hard to help them encourage them to grow and mature. Preaching and teaching and laboring and striving and struggling with all of God's energy on their behalf. Um, Paul was most often the, the first time proclaimer. Usually he was the planter and others watered, but this, this time Paul was a waterer for the Colossian church. Uh, Epaphras was the planter. Paul mentions him in verse 7. And um, I think it's so great that you don't hear any hint of comp competition. Paul is not after Epaphras' following. They're not competing. They're working together. He has great respect for him as a faithful minister of the gospel. He says that Epaphras, this is verse 7, 
proclaimed the gospel. The people learned from him. They understood the gospel. They repented of their sin and they trusted Jesus and experienced the new birth. And uh, verse 6 says that they, they heard the gospel and they knew the grace of God in truth. And he says, so it is everywhere. The early part of verse, verse 6, he says, that's what's happening in all the world, that the gospel is being proclaimed, people are un- understanding it, and people are being converted. The gospel was, was uh, you know, at that what point it wasn't, hadn't spread to all the, all the known world, but it was, it was being presented to across ge- geographical ba- boundaries, across racial ba- boundaries. The gospel was being presented to everyone. And people were being, <coughs> were being converted. So Epaphras did his work proclaiming the truth. God was doing his work, helping the people to understand the truth. And the Colossians embraced this new knowledge about Jesus Christ, and it revolutionized their world, their lives. How can we be planters and waterers and proclaimers and encouragers? are we convinced, are we convicted that the gospel is true and, and Jesus Christ is the one person that everyone needs to be born again and to mature and to bear fruit? I pray that, pray that all of us will be, have a growing understanding and a growing conviction that Jesus Christ is the one that all our acquaintances need and that he will fill us with compassion for people and a conviction about what's true about the gospel and, uh, and the courage and the passion to share this truth about Jesus Christ with others. Either as planters or waterers, encouragers, however it might be, with their very own family, families, with their neighbors, and with our other acquaintances too that we live the gospel, that we would, we would enhance the gospel by the way we live, and that we would proclaim it. If we're to be planters and waterers and proclaimers and encouragers, we must be prayer, prayerful. Paul was a man of prayer. Verse 3, he thanks God for them. He said he, he prays always for them. Verse 9, he writes that he did... He does not, we do not cease to pray for you. Seems like Paul was praying constantly. And he was, he was praying a prayer of thanksgiving. <clears throat> and he was also interceding for them. He was tireless in prayer. He didn't stop praying. Every, every work that he did, he, he <laughs> seems that he first prayed about it. And he did not offering teaching, or he didn't offer his teaching or advice or his encouragement, except he first had prayed. What a challenge that is for us to pray. I'm going to give you this this example. It's personal, and I'm not. I don't see my. I do not see myself as the model of prayer. But I I do pray for. We're just back from Bearskin Lake, and uh, I do pray for people there. I did in. The past several years, I've had, I've had a prayer list of people I pray for. 
There's about five Christian couples that I pray for regularly. And 68, six, six or more non-Christian families and individuals too that I pray for. Some number of uh, couples that are, are separated. And so I pray for them most every day. And then it's so interesting to go after a year of not seeing them and to just see what's been happening in their lives. And, and I think that my, my prayers have made a difference. Not, not, maybe not that I prayed, but that God moved uh, because of prayer. Some of, some of these people have made progress. Some, there have been a couple that haven't done so well. But uh, but look looked about Apostle Paul for your model of prayer to pray constantly. Do not don't stop praying. I'll pray always uh, for everyone uh, that you think of. Now Paul's prayer for them was that they would grow in wisdom and knowledge and spiritual understanding. That was part of his prayer. Um, now, that's verse nine. He doesn't seem he doesn't cease to pray that prayer for them. That that would be God's will for them for the Colossians. That would be God's will for us. That's what God wants for us to grow in wisdom and knowledge or does it say first knowledge and then wisdom all in all wisdom and spiritual understanding <coughs> knowledge of god's will is not just learning about how to behave it is learning about how to live as a christian but it also has has uh to do with having an understanding of god's god's salvation his purpose for salvation his purpose for saving us and God, God speaks to our minds. We hear the word of truth, and we think about it. And we, God's Holy Spirit helps us understand the word of truth. And then, then we embrace it, and it becomes a part of our faith. And uh, our faith grows, and our, then our commitment and trust in God grows as we understand this truth. And... Then our love, and in this process also our love for Christ and the Heavenly Father grow. And our, our desire to obey Him and everything that He shows us. And so in a practical way, uh, growing in knowledge, and this wisdom and spiritual understanding works out in, a, in, a, in our practical lives of, of us becoming and living more and more a Christ-like life. So a major dynamic in our salvation is, is understanding truth, understanding the truth about our Heavenly Father, understanding truth about Jesus Christ, His Son. Verse 4 says that you, your faith in Christ, no, this is verse 6, you, you knew and understood the truth of the, the gospel. And then this faith, resulted in a commitment and a trust to Jesus Christ. 
So the Apostle Paul prays for the Colossians, and this is God's will for us, that we grow in our knowledge and our wisdom and spiritual understanding, that these would increase. The Colossians did believe on Jesus, and they were converted. And the Apostle Paul is so thankful for the evidences of their salvation. And the first uh, is their faith and love. That's in verse 4. Since, you heard of, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Their love was for all the saints. They didn't just love the, their family members or the, the uh, close friends or just those of their own ethnic background. They loved all the saints. They were living in a Christ-centered community. And uh, they believed that everyone that had, uh, that was in God's family uh, was to be accepted and, and really belonged there. That's so important in a Christian church is that people are accepted, and they really belong there, and they feel love from uh, fellow members. The Christian church is is the place where you should really belong. (laughs) And that must have been happening in in Colossae. Jews and Gentiles and uh, um, all the different groups of people were Coming, coming in, into the church, into the church, and they were loving each other. The Apostle Paul was thankful for their love as an evidence of, that they were really, really converted. He was also thankful for their endurance and steadfastness. He prayed for it, and he was thankful for it. In verse eleven. They were says they were. He prayed that they would be strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. And then over in verse five, we we read about steadfastness too in chapter two, verse five, that he was uh, he was joyful because he beheld their order and the the steadfastness of their faith in Christ. So an evidence of the new birth is that people continue in faith. Um, This this is a quiet confidence in God that comes uh, from the conviction that God is our Heavenly Father and that Jesus Christ, His Son, is our Savior and that they are sovereign in this world and that our Heavenly Father... Jesus Christ, his son, is are strong, and they're strong enough to bring about their purposes even in the most difficult and unpromising situations. A, a patient endurance, uh, keeping on in faith in spite of difficulties. It's, it's conviction and a, a faith in who God is and who Jesus Christ is. Powerful. And uh, 
there in that uh, verse 5 of chapter 2, Paul was joyful about their order and their steadfastness. I understand what I was reading, that those are military terms, that the whole, the whole church was standing together uh, like a solid wall of defense, and they were, they were ready for spiritual warfare. And they, they were ready to refute the false teaching. He was going to help them prepare to refute, uh, refute the false teaching they were facing. Paul, you, I'm sure you've noticed in the book of Acts that everywhere he went, <laughs> uh, following after him, they were the Judaizers and others who hounded uh, his, the, these new churches. And for Paul, Paul was, was praying and he was praising them for being steadfast and being, being orderly and prepared and firm in their faith. So perseverance and endurance are, are evidences of the new birth. Those who have given up early and, and, and quit quickly when faced with temptation and trials probably weren't really saved. We, we personally cannot judge anyone, I don't suppose, but God knows. But, but endurance and patience, sometimes in the early stages of an expression of faith or a profession of faith, it's a little hard to tell if someone is, is, is this really saving faith? Are they really born again? But time is likely to show it. God only is the judge. Endurance and patience and steadfastness must prove that a person, one of the proofs that a person is really a Christian. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul prays for them, encourages them that they live a life of thankfulness. And then he gives quite a long list. It's actually in the form of a poem, understand, of things to be thankful for, and then mostly about our Heavenly Father and about Jesus Christ, his Son. All these things about our Heavenly Father and about His Son, Jesus Christ, should cause us to be thankful and joyful Christians. And so I ask us the questions, are we joyful this morning? Is it a way of life for us? I've lived too many of my days not joyful, so this is speaking to me. Are we constantly filled with gratitude that moves us to love Jesus all the more, which moves us to commit to him more fully and obey him more completely? So here in, in verse 12, things that, that would move us to thankfulness. The first on the list of, to be thankful for is that our Heavenly Father has made us qualified <coughs> to share in the inheritance of the saints. If, if we have an inheritance, that means we, are true, we truly are sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters are the ones that receive the inheritance. So if we have an inheritance, that means we truly are the sons and daughters of God. They, they, it seems like there in Colossae, they were having some saying that, you know, you're not truly a son and daughter of God unless you keep the Jewish law, or unless you do keep a certain ritual. But here we have this, uh, this to be joyful about, <laughs> that we've been saved by Christ, we've been, been put in God's family, we truly are his children, and he's quali qualified us for the wonderful inheritance, which includes heaven. 
Verse 13 says that we weren't always in that place. Once we were in the kingdom of darkness, in Satan's kingdom. But now God has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. A good, a good illustration of this would be the children of Israel. They, they were enslaved in Egypt. They were far from their inheritance. They were far away from Canaan, the promised land. They were living, they were being treated harshly as slaves. But then they were wonderfully rescued. And they were then on their way to the promised land. God has qualified us to be in his son's kingdom by redeeming us, by washing away our sin. Verse 14, redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We were, we were helpless. We're out, we're out in the dark. We were in the darkness of Satan's kingdom in a hopeless and helpless situation. But God, with his great love and his mercy and uh, his, his willing son to be the sacrifice to provide for forgiveness for our sins, reached out and, and saved us out of the, that dominion of darkness, delivered us to be in his son's kingdom. We were out in the, we used to be out in the dark kingdom and then we would be uh, banished to outer darkness. That would have been our end. Jesus wouldn't have saved us. Do we have reason to be thankful this morning? Is this something to be joyful about? Jesus in his death and resurrection has defeated the harsh rule of the prince of darkness and has released us from the clutches of sin's entanglement. Jesus Christ has delivered us. He won the great victory over Satan and over the dominion of sin in his death and his resurrection. And there's so many things here to rejoice about Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Jesus is the exalted human Christ and he is the pre-existent Lord. He is very God and became the perfect man. Jesus shows us the invisible God. We, he came in, human, in a human body and he lived a human life. He showed us what God is like. He also showed us what God intended, what God created human beings to be. Adam and Eve first created in God's image. We were fought, we're, he, they fell, we were fallen. But Jesus shows us how human beings are supposed to live, how, how they're supposed to be. This is something to rejoice about, <laughs> that Jesus is, is the, uh, the image of the invisible God that has been revealed to us. Verse uh, 16, 
Jesus is the, is the creator of everything. He, he was God's agent to speak everything into existence, it seems. Everything, everyone, every spirit, everything in the spiritual realm, all created by Jesus Christ and for him. So Jesus as creator is the, is the supreme authority, whether it's over the physical creation or over all humanity, over all spiritual beings, Jesus is supreme. Verse 17 says that he holds everything together. Jesus sustains all of creation, preventing it from collapsing. There's no creature, no human, no spiritual being that could survive on its own. We're all dependent on Jesus Christ, the creator and the sustainer of life. Is that something to rejoice about? That Jesus is creator and he holds everything together. We can trust him. Verse 18, Jesus is the head of the church. We we Christians are a part of his church. That, That means we belong to him. That means that he is our head, our Lord in the church. Jesus was, he was the Lord of creation. He's also the Lord of the church. And uh, when Jesus came to earth and lived his sinless, perfect life, and he gave his wonderful teaching, and then as he went to his death on Calvary's cross as a sinless sacrifice for the atonement of sin and then his powerful resurrection uh, Jesus showed that he's supreme showed himself to be supreme over everything he's supreme over the church and we, we as Christians are privileged to belong to him I'll just, uh, in closing, I'll just point out some of the same verses I did before. Uh, Verse 19, that for for it pleased the Father that in Jesus should all fullness dwell. And verse 9 of chapter 2, for in him, Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all, of all principality and power. So Jesus Christ is our Savior. He's also uh, the one who will bring us to Christian maturity. We're a called out people. That One of the early voices said, says that we're, we're holy, we're set apart as God's children. And... Uh, uh, Jesus Christ is at work in our lives to bring us to Christian maturity, which means making us more and more Christ-like. Verse 20 talks about Jesus being the, the reconciler. Verses 20 and 21, I'll just read those verses. And have made peace, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him, remember these, these pronouns are about Jesus, 
By him to reconcile all things to himself, by him I say whether they be in earth or things in heaven. And you that were enemies and alienated, enemies in your mind by wicked works, works. Yes, yet hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Jesus is the great reconciler. Through his death and the shedding of his blood, he provides for the, for the forgiveness of our sins and he reconciles us to God. He made peace for us. We had been, we had been God's enemies and we were under God's wrath. But Jesus, by his death, has given us peace with God, reconciled us to God. No longer are we distant enemies of God. Now we have peace and a good relationship with him. How we should be joyful that Jesus has reconciled us to his, our holy heavenly father. And not just us, as verses say, he's reconciled. He's reconciling all things to himself. I'm not sure I understand that. All of creation. Sometime there will be a, a restoration of all creation. But we were once enemies and alienated from God because of our sinful behavior. But now we are reconciled to God. I say praise God for his reconciling work. And that, that verse 22 that I read, that it is Jesus' plan and purpose to present us to the Father, holy, unblameable in his sight. God wants a holy people. Adam and Eve, and human, first human beings were created holy. But God is restoring humanity. Those who trust Christ, restoring them to holiness. He's doing this by forgiveness, by washing away our sin, and then by refashioning our lives, changing us to be in the likeness of Christ's perfect life. We're, we're not perfect yet. <laughs> I, uh, I think as I learn to know our Lord better, I realize how sinful I am. But we're on the way as Christians. We're forgiven. And God is working in, in us to change us to be like Christ. And one day, one day we'll stand before, here it says, holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. One day we'll stand before holy God, unashamed and without fear. Because, Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for us. What a great hope we have as Christians. He keeps us. Verse 23, the qualification that, if, that uh, he'll present us holy, unblameable, unprovable in his sight. If, Verse 23, if you continue in faith, grounded and settled, not moved from the gospel. I said earlier, the genuine faith is a patient, steadfast, day-by-day -day life of the Christian. Genuine faith endures to the end. How in the world 
will we, we be able to endure to the end? Well, we have faith. We have faith in Jesus Christ, who is the powerful creator, the savior, the redeemer, the reconciler, the deliverer, the forgiver, the sustainer, Jesus Christ, who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before God's throne with exceeding joy. We have certainly have much to be grateful for this morning. I pray that our love for Christ will grow, our faith will grow, our commitment to him and trust in him will grow, and our obedience to him will grow, and that we'll, we'll cooperate him every way we can in this process of making us more Christ-like. May God bless you. Let's have a closing song.